words are important. Words are the main way that we communicate with one another. When we go to, to Mexico as a church uh, during the summer, most of us make do with very, very stilted Spanish with hand signals and with hugs. And we communicate fairly well, but it's very obvious that there's something missing in our communication. We don't have all the words that we need to be able to communicate fully in the way that we might want to. It's very interesting, at least I think it's very interesting, that in the book of Genesis, when we read the story of the fragmentation of the peoples of the world, it's not race or geography or ethnicity that's spoken of as the thing that causes the community to fall apart. It's language. It's not having the words to say to one another in a way that the other can fully understand what's meant, what's intended. Words are important. We use words for all sorts of things. We can build someone up with our words, or we can tear them apart. We can make someone laugh, or we can make them cry. We can challenge one another to the most impressive tasks or persuade others to carry out the most heinous acts. Words are important. They always carry with them a certain weight and a certain power. We say that talk is cheap, but words can be very costly. A word spoken at the wrong time can destroy. Even a good word spoken with the best of motives at the wrong moment can bring worlds crashing down. Words are important, but we use words so much and talk so often that words often seem to lose their import and their impact. We use words with little thought of their actual sense. We use high and lofty words when much smaller words would do. C.S. Lewis once wrote, don't use words too big for the subject. Don't say infinitely when you mean very. Otherwise, you'll have no word left when you want to talk about something really infinite. The word awesome means to fill one with awe. Awe is reverential fear. How much of what we call awesome truly fills us with reverential fear? Words are important. Often we use words for no other reason than to, to fill the void. We don't like silence. Silence is too heavy. It's too frightening for us. Often in silence we feel uncomfortable. In silence, time drags on and on and on. It seems to lengthen. Even if we're not using words, there's always noise going on. I wonder what it is about silence that causes us to be so, so uncomfortable. 
I wonder if it's because in silence we feel so alone. I wonder if it's because in silence we're alone with our own thoughts. I wonder if it's because in silence we're alone with our own fears. I wonder if it's because there's something about silence that is infinitely and authentically awesome. I wonder if you've ever known someone whom you would describe as a person of few words, someone who rarely speaks, but when they speak, their words carry a deeper significance, and everyone listens. Their words are few. They only speak when it's necessary to speak, so that what they say is not just so much noise to fill an already saturated void, but is of vital importance. The, the 13th century Persian poet and theologian known as Rumi once wrote that silence is the language of God. Now, that might seem to be somewhat counterintuitive to us. I, I see some of you thinking, well, well, no, no, God talks all the time. The Bible's full of God talking constantly. It's all that God seems to do. God's always talking to Abraham and Moses and all these great heroes in the Old Testament. He's always telling them what to do and where to go and, and what He desires for them. God's anything but silent. He's one of the most chatty characters you could imagine. How old, in the book of Genesis, how old does the story say that Abraham was, for example, when God first spoke to him? Somewhere around 80, doesn't it? What was God doing or saying to Abraham in the time before that? How was Abraham experiencing God during that period of time? And then it was a significant time before God spoke to Abraham again. And then if you read the text, it was a period of time again before God addressed him once more. We read these stories about God speaking to His people back to back because that's the way that the writers have written them. They don't tell us the gaps. They don't tell us the silences. But that's what God does. He watches he waits, and He loves in the silence. And when He speaks, His Word carries a tremendous import. His Word is heavy. His Word is significant. His Word is awesome, because when He speaks, it comes to us out of the silence out of the void. There's a beautiful story in, in Kings about the prophet Elijah. Elijah's run away from his enemies in fear, but he's received a message to go and stand on a mountain, and to stand there and to wait for the Lord to come. As Elijah stands there, as he waits, as he watches, a powerful wind hurtles past him. It would be reasonable for Elijah to step forward and expect to meet God in the rushing wind, but no, Elijah stands still, and he waits 
because he knows that the Lord is not in the powerful wind. As he stands, as he watches, as he waits, a mighty earthquake rocks the very foundations of the mountain. Again, it would be reasonable to expect Elijah to step forward and come and listen for the voice of the Lord in the earthquake. But Elijah remains where he is because he knows that the Lord is not in the earthquake. Then a consuming fire burning all in its path issues forth. And a third time Elijah stands his ground because he knows that the Lord is not in the fire. And then something very unusual happens. Finally, there comes the sound of a still, small voice. Or as one translation has it, the sound of sheer silence. And it's in that moment that Elijah steps forward because he knows that God is in the silence. I want to be very, very clear that when I'm talking about silence, I'm not talking about the absence of God. That's a very different thing altogether. Our, our normal way of thinking about silence is to think in terms of what it's not. We think of silence in negative terms. We, we think of silence in terms of an absence, an absence of noise. But here I'm talking about silence in positive terms. It's in silence and it's in stillness that God comes to us. It's in the, the silence and stillness that we experience God in all His fullness, not in the noise and in the hustle and in the bustle. You remember what the psalmist once wrote? Be still and know that I am God. Silence is only the absence of noise, but it's in silence that we're able to meet God and to know His voice when He actually does speak. When God speaks, His words take on substance. His words are no mere background noise or, or simply suggestions. His words bring sound into the silence, substance into the void, light into darkness, life into chaos. In the reading we read this morning, the prophet Isaiah speaks this so clearly. My word, says the Lord, shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Hasn't it struck you that when we talk about God speaking, we, we, we don't talk about the words of God? We talk about, and Scripture talks about, the Word of God. There has to be something significant about that. God doesn't speak words. He speaks His Word. His Word is singular. His Word is unique. His Word always has a purpose, always has a goal, always has an end in sight, and always accomplishes that end. God doesn't utter His Word randomly or just on a whim. The language of God is 
silence. So when he speaks, everything is transformed. Well, how then are we to think of the, the singular, unique Word of God? What does that really mean? What purpose is that Word setting out to achieve? What's that Word bringing into being? There's a passage that we read at Christmas that's, uh, that's probably, probably the most unchristmassy sounding of Christmas passages in the Bible, but it gets to the very heart of what we mean when we're talking about the singular and unique Word of God. It's from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. He came to that which was His own, but His own didn't receive Him. Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word of God spoke, and all things came into being. The first utterance of the Word of God transformed everything. Before the Word was spoken, there was nothing. Without the Word being spoken, there would be nothing. The Word spoke, and there was light. Before the Word spoke, there was only darkness. When the Word was uttered, light blazed forth, and life began to blossom. Everything was transformed. Whenever God speaks His Word, everything is transformed. Everything is made new. Nothing will ever be the same again. Then even after all these utterances of the Word, there was still one more thing that had to be spoken. The final word, if you like. The one word that all other words had been pointing to and leading up to. And it was that word that came in silence and quite unexpectedly. We've read this passage from John so often, and it's become so familiar to us that we no longer hear the impact of what we're being told when we read the phrase, and the Word became flesh. Tradition has it that John wrote this gospel while he and Mary were living in the, in the ancient city of Ephesus. 
Ephesus was a highly influential city in the ancient world. It was a major seaport in what's now modern-day Turkey, so it was a center of trade. Just outside the city was the temple of Artemis. She was a very prominent goddess in the Greek pantheon. So it was a center of religious worship. In about AD 135, which is a wee bit later, a very famous library was built by a man named Celsus. So it was a center of learning, trade, worship, and learning. Three of the major pillars of ancient life came together in the city of Ephesus. Now, although the library wasn't built until the early second century, Ephesus had been known for a long time as a city of learning. It had been the home of a very famous philosopher called Heraclitus. He had lived there in the sixth century BC, and one of his most significant teachings was about the Logos. His teaching was developed over the centuries by Stoic philosophy, but what it essentially said was this, the Logos is a silent, unknowable force which brings all things in the universe into being and holds all things in the universe together. Without the Logos, there is nothing. It comes from before time and will be after time has ended. It is eternal. It cannot be seen. It cannot be experienced. It cannot be known in any way because it's beyond the understanding, perception, and conception of humanity. This concept of the Logos is what John is speaking of in the passage we just read. Everything that he says would have made sense to the people of the ancient world. Everything would have made sense until he dropped the most shocking phrase into his message. This silent, unknowable creative force, this logos, this word, became flesh. The ultimate word had been spoken. The ultimate word had become flesh, had become like you, had become like me. It had ceased to be unknowable, had ceased to be distant, had ceased to be silent, but had spoken, and everything had changed. But the final word wasn't spoken in lofty places and in grandeur with heraldic announcements. No, it was the soft sound of a whisper, a still, small voice. It spoke in the sound of sheer silence. It spoke with the cry of a newborn infant boy, a tiny baby born to an insignificant girl with no home in an out-of-the-way town in a backwater region hundreds of miles from cities of of influence and of power and of authority. And in that moment, everything changed. And everything changes 
For that same word, now that it has been spoken, is no longer silent. But it speaks into the hearts and lives of each and of all. And when that word is spoken, even when that word is heard, everything changes. Nothing will ever be the same again. You will never be the same again. Can you hear it? Can you hear Him? Are you ready? Are you ready to be transformed? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.